Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Have you ever been caught in a huge lie? And right in the middle of the lie, you know that you're caught. Because you're telling something, and that person looks at you like, yeah, right. So I can tell by your faces here, and I don't have to see you, and those who are listening virtually right now, you've, you've been there because you have that look of like, how does he know, right? Why? Because it's me. Because <laughs> I've done it. You have this, this time in which you start to say something, and then you hear the words when you're in the middle of the lie that you pray that no one would ever say to you, oh yeah, prove it. Prove it. And when you're a kid, you're like, oh, yeah, I, can, I totally have a girlfriend. She lives in Canada. I see her all the time. <laughs> Prove it. You know, and if I was smart enough at the time, I'd you know, pull some picture out of my wallet of some model who's in some teen magazine, say, oh, this is my girlfriend from Canada, and that would be proof, and then which all the boys would be like, yeah, right, Jason, you couldn't get anybody like that, and they would laugh at me, and they'd go off. I can totally dunk a basketball, gym class, right? But I can't even touch the bottom. I could totally dunk. And then you have like these arguments during class. And then the words come out and they say, prove it. So then I'm at gym class. I'm like, oh, I can't today. Like I ran six miles yesterday, so my legs are sore. But I can't do it today. Everyone's like, yeah, 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 right. You, didn't, you can't really dunk a basketball. And once again, proved it. This is one of my favorites. As parents, when your children say to you, oh, I did all my homework. I'm totally done. Can I go outside to play? Can I play video games? Can I go do something else? And we as parents all say, prove it. I want to see that your homework is done. Not that you're a liar or calling you a liar, but if you really did the work, I want to see evidence that the work is done. When we're caught in the middle of something, there's this awkward moment of trying to figure out, okay, what in the world am I going to do? I had a Whopper when I was a kid. Those who don't know who I am, uh, my, my name is Jason Montano, um, and I just want you to flash back here. I'm a kid from the 80s. Montano sounds a lot like Montana. In fact, every class I'd go in, they'd say, Jason Montana. They couldn't get the idea in their mind that my name ended with an O, and a lot of times ask my kids. They still don't. So Montana is what I would be called all the time. And so I thought, this is fantastic. It's the 80s. They call me Montana. I must now be related to Joe Montana. <laughs> so Joe Montana, for those who don't know, is this Hall of Fame quarterback, won multiple Super Bowls, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and was at the peak of his stardom during this time. So I would tell everybody I'm related to Joe Montana. Now, this was, works really, really well until they say, prove it. And, and this is the... I want to be fair right now, okay? I am related to Joe Montano. Joe Montano was my grandfather. I just changed the last letter, and I played with it a little bit. And when people say, yeah, right, there's no way, they'd say, prove it. Of course, I had no proof, but I had a picture on my wall from like a Sports Illustrated. I brought that in. They're like, there's no resemblance. And then I just <laughs> let, I let it kind of fade off over time. I worked the system to my advantage. And when we get in those situations and we see that there's like this tension here of people, you're saying something I don't believe. 
I don't really believe what you're saying. You have to prove it. Prove it. Puts us into a place of, I don't believe you. I doubt you. I don't really think you're telling the truth. You've got to produce some evidence to actually come up with something that would make sense to me. It doesn't matter if what kind of proving it is. Sometimes I just want something that was real. Give me some tangible thing that says what you are saying, what's coming out of your mouth is legitimate. Now, in the world of our new ecosystem, we have fakes. Fakes right now are things they take, things on the internet. You can now swap and switch and make videos of stars doing things they've never done. And you can be places you've never simply with a computer program and those are fake. So even proving it in our current culture is getting harder and harder because the, we can now fake and lie our way almost through everything. So then when someone says prove it, the opportunity to even give it credo is getting lost. It's a weird time that we live in, and it's only going to get weirder because now when I say I want you to prove something to me, what you prove, I may not even believe. I say, well, that's true to you, but that doesn't mean that it's true to me. What you're proving to me is proof for you, but it's not proof for me. I could have, as a kid, I'd bring in a signature of Joe Montana. I could have had my grandpa sign Joe Montana on that thing and say, look, it's, this, is, this is a signature. And kids would go, oh, he's really related to him. That's awesome. But now all they got to do is scan it, put it on the internet, and find out that it's fake. What is real? What is not real? Like, this is a time in which we're like, what in the world do we do? in a time of even the words, prove it, give me some evidence is being questioned. Today, we're going to dig into a passage that maybe you haven't seen before, really thought through this concept. As we're in this Lenten series, we're looking at the miracles of Jesus, things that Jesus has done, these miraculous things that lead to the beauty of the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus. And we're looking at this verse where they are looking at Jesus and they're literally saying to him, Prove it. If you are who that you say that you are, prove it. It's not hard, right? You're God. Now, this is 2,000 years ago, right? So there weren't internet searches and Google searches, and you know we couldn't make fakes. So they said, this is easy, Jesus, if you are who you say that you are. Prove it. Prove that you are who you say that you are, and then we will believe you. So we have to take a look back to understand, because we all have been at a place where we have looked at God to say, prove it. You have been at a place at some point on your spiritual journey, whether you are just beginning, you're in the middle, somewhere towards the end, or anywhere in between. You've been on a journey for a long time, short time, just starting. That you're like, you know, God, I don't really believe you're real. Prove it. God, if you really cared about me, you would do these things for me. Prove it. If you love me, prove it. If you love people, prove it. If you love, if you care, it, where are you? Prove it, prove it, prove it. And we stand oftentimes with our feet in the ground, looking to the sky, quasi-shaking our fist, and we say this, God, if, then prove it. Then I'll believe you. We've all seen movies, and maybe you've been this person who said, God, if you just get me out of this situation, God, if I could just somehow evade this catastrophe coming, then I will give my whole life to you. It's proof that you're real. 
I will, I will do anything for you because you're proving to me that you're God. So therefore, if you do this, I'll, I'll listen to you. And then that thing happens. You're like, oh, I don't remember that prayer. And then all of a sudden, you forget about it. Proving it. Proving it. This is in the Scriptures. But before we get into the passage, I want to take you backwards to understand where we're going forwards. We're going to be looking into a passage in Mark and Matthew. Today we'll be start with Mark, Matthew, uh, Mark verse, chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. If you're going to use your Bibles, Bible apps, Mark 8, 11 through 13. And this is a time in which the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, prove it. But to understand the depth of this, you've got to understand what's happened so far. So the background of this passage, Jesus has just miraculously fed 4,000 people. Last night, we had approximately 30, 20 some to 30 teenagers at our house after our 262 event. It's very close to like feeding 4,000 people. <laughs> My wife made pizzas, and before the cardboard touched the table, gone. There was food just gone. There's like just spinning plates and like remnants on the floor. Like when you have 20 to 30 teenagers, 4,000 is in, like, I'm like, okay, Jesus, I understand that miracle, right? But so Jesus just did this. Now, miraculously, this is what happened. These people had come to hear Jesus teach and they had just a little bit of food, just a couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread. And miraculously, all these people were just fed. They had eaten and there was still leftovers. This miracle had just happened. And then you come to this moment, there, there are actually 21 miracles that happened before that, that miracle that is inaccounted in the scripture. 21 times that is listed here. Now, Jesus did things that were not written down. They're not going to write down everything. He did all that. I mean, you got people scribing and writing. What is written down is what we're supposed to have. We believe that. It's perfect. It's what we're supposed to have. But we also can just logically say, okay, there's other things. Jesus was doing things. Maybe that wasn't written down for whatever reason. Written down 21 times, God has done a miracle for everyone to understand. This is what he did. First one, he changes water into wine at a wedding. He heals the royal official's son. There's, they couldn't catch any fish. There's this draught of fishes, and all of a sudden they have all these fish. He heals a man with an unclean spirit. He, he heals Simon's mother-in-law. He heals a leper. He heals a paralytic. He heals an invalid man. He heals a man with a weathered hand. Withered hand. So you start to see all these actual physical transformation things happening. Somebody has something wrong with them, and all of a sudden that they're better. Okay? Actual physical evidence that this person was sick, not sick. This person couldn't walk, could walk. There's something big that's happening in each one of these moments, but it goes on. He heals a centurion's servant. He, the widow's son is raised. He is healing of a blind and a mute. Demonic, the stilling of a storm. The healing of two demoniacs in Gadaria. The daughter of Jairus is raised. The healing of the afflicted woman. The healing of two blind men and a mute demoniac. He feeds 5,000 people. He walks on water. He heals another demoniac girl. He heals a deaf and a mute man. And then he feeds 4,000 people. So Jesus is out there doing all this stuff. 
Now, I want you to be very clear in this whole story. Jesus' ministry lasted three years, okay? He was, for three years, we have his public ministry. And Jesus, when he starts doing his ministry, he's not just sitting around. He is doing a lot of ministry. There's a lot of things happening. Now, let's add to that that Jesus is teaching in a way that they have never heard before. And he's teaching with authority. And he's teaching, and people are sitting back, and they're like, Okay, who is this guy who teaches like this? Who is this guy that does all these miraculous things? Who is this guy? So he sits back and they're watching these beautiful, wonderful things happen over and over and over again. And so they start to ask the question, who is he? Who is this man? 21 miracles. Now, I've been in ministry for 20 years, okay? Jesus did ministry publicly for three years. In my time of 20 years of ministry, I have exactly zero miracles performed in my resume. Now, I don't know what God's done through prayer. I don't know what he's done. I'm saying by the power of Jason, nothing has happened. 20 years of ministry, Lord willing, I get 20 more. And I'll say, in 40 years of loving God, serving God, I don't expect me to do anything in less than three years. Jesus already dropped 21. And besides that, he was the greatest teacher they've ever. He was teaching the things of God that made them understand. And they started to grip with this idea of this kingdom upside down, this new world of what God was bringing to man. Now we go to Mark chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. I love this. He sighed deeply. (sighs) And he said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. They come up to Jesus. They say, all right, Jesus, if you really are who you say that you are, we need to see some sign prove to us that you are who that you say that you are. Now, Jesus has got the track record, man. His resume is full. He just came from feeding all these people. He got into a boat. He came across. He gets to this area. He's teaching. The Pharisees say, well, actually, if you are who you say that you are. That's my snobby Pharisee voice. (laughs) Oh, great teacher, then you must prove to us who you say that you are. Now, I don't know what brought that sigh on. I would say anguish. Is there sadness? Like, guys, come on, man. Like, what are you wanting? But then he says, I'm not actually going to give you a sign. But like, wait a minute, there's all these things going on here. So this doesn't necessarily make sense, but we got to look at what they're asking for. If you give us a sign from heaven, give us a sign from heaven, because they've all seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen him make hands go back. They've seen people who are possessed be unpossessed. They've seen lame people walk, but you can fake all those. You can fake every one of those. That person could have been sitting in the crowd with his hand shriveled up, and he had it covered, and you used a trick. And then as soon as you said, get up and your hand's okay, then it was, oh, I can walk. Or that person who's paralyzed, we don't believe you in that either. 
You fake that. But nobody can fake a sign in the sky. <clears throat> in fact, in the Old Testament, God shows a sign in the sky. In the Old Testament, that's how God would show us that he was real. There's things from heaven. We'd see fire from heaven. We saw a pillar of fire. We saw a cloud of smoke. In the Old Testament, God proved himself to us by actually us seeing things of nature happening, even though Jesus walked on water and calmed the storm. That's a side note. But <laughs> prove it. If you are that you say who you are, there's no way you could fake a nature miracle. They didn't have the technology back then. David Blaine and all those, like, David Copperfield, they fake all these nature things all the time. They made, remember guys, remember when they made the Statue of Liberty disappear? Like, and they do all these things, like, I mean, spoiler alert, mirrors and stuff, but, you know, like, they do all these <laughs> things in which they, there's an optical illusion, and we start to see things. They didn't have that back then. <clears throat> in Jesus' time, there were not fakes. If you were legit, make it happen right now. Bring some fire down from heaven. Oh, then we'll believe you. Jesus says, I'm not going to believe. No, 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 no. He sighs deeply because he's proven himself over and over and over again. He could have easily done it. He could have easily said, all right, guys, no problem. Father, make a fire, a pillar of fire. And poof, there'd be a pillar of fire, right? He's Jesus. But he doesn't. Uniquely in his teaching, and this is what makes Jesus greater than anybody ever. He doesn't have to prove himself to anybody. He is who he says that he is. He could have easily done what he asked, but he says, no sign is going to be given to you. Now I'm going to take you to another account in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Matthew 16, 1 through 4 is the same account, but it has more flavor to it, as I would say. Mark, if you guys are new to Bible reading, Mark is a more concise book of the Bible. It takes out a lot of details. This kind of like, here's the fact, here's the fact, here's the fact, here's the fact. And then you'll see Mark it's the same accounts with a lot more, we'd say, color commentary to it, a little more uh, details to it. And Matthew, as the book was written, was written to a Jewish audience, and so it had a much more narrative or story-driven behind this book or the gospel. And so now in Matthew, we see the same account with that more detail. 16, 1 to 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. Backtrack once again. So now Jesus looks at this story from a much more colorful side. They say, show us that you are who that you say that you are by the markings of the sky. Show us something in nature that says you are the God of the Old Testament, that you really are who you claim that you will be. He says, this is pretty simple. You look at stuff in the sky all the time, and you read stuff in nature all the time. That's good, as you should, right? You got the red at night. Sailor's delight, you know, I love outdoors, fishing and stuff. It's a red, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be good fishing tomorrow, right? Like, I get that. We can read different signs that we see within nature. It goes, so rightfully so, you guys see all these things. And you see if it's going to be stormy, okay? You get that idea. You know how to interpret these things. However, if you actually would have known and read and knew the Old Testament, you'd understand what's happening right now. 
So no sign I'm going to give you are you going to interpret and ever say I am the Son of God. You are not going to believe me if I make fire rain down from heaven because you don't even understand what Jesus, what God has said about me as the coming Messiah. You are not ever going to believe me even if I prove it. If I give you all the evidence in the world, you're a wicked generation. You won't believe me. Even if I put everything right before you in your hands, you're still going to say, I am not who I say that I am. 21 things have already happened, plus the feeding, 22. You've seen miracle after miracle, and you say it's not real. And as you continue to read, they just continue, no matter what Jesus does, they say, you are not the Son of God. It leads to the fact that they kill him because they say that's, he's not who they say that he is. But we look with a little bit more interesting thing here about this whole sign of Jonah. I'm not going to give you a sign except for the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? If you've ever read or know the story of Jonah, Jonah is a book in the Old Testament and one of the prophets of God. I'm going to summarize this. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. God asked him to go to a very wicked uh, city and town and tell them that they could be forgiven. He's like, I'm not going there. They're terrible people. I'm not going there. I'm not going to tell. They shouldn't be forgiven. So Jonah decides to run off in the opposite direction of God. Side note, don't run from God. So as they run from God, he said, I don't want to be a part of this. There's a shipwreck. And then God has this big, huge, giant fish come and swallow him. Bloop. And so he's inside a fish for three days. Some have called it whales. We don't know if it's whales, if it's fish. There's all these, that's a mute point, even though I like details. Mute point. He's living inside of an animal for three days. Again, I love fishing and I love nature. It doesn't look very pleasant inside of the fish that I catch. So he is inside of there repenting. And he's praying out to God. And then for three days, he's spit up. He's vomited up on, bleh, up on the bleach. Like, did the, did the fish say, see you later? You know, like, <laughs> like Mr. Narwhal from Elf? I don't know, you know, like, bye, Jonah. Hope you're dead. You know, like, I don't know what's happening here. So this fish spews Jonah up on the beach. And so Jonah's there. And for three days, he was in the belly of the fish. And there was a sign and an understanding, and Jesus says to them, the only sign you're going to get is for three days I'm going to die, and for three days I'm going to be in the tomb. Just like Jonah was for three days gone, he was in the depths. So I will die, and for three days, but I will rise again. That's the only sign this generation is going to get. It's the only sign that you need. You want a sign of nature? Someone who is dead is going to come back alive. Someone who is lost and thought to be gone is going to actually come back again. Now, they had no idea what they were talking about at that time, but it doesn't matter because when Jesus rose from the grave, guess what everybody said? He didn't really rise from the grave. He appeared to many of his disciples. He didn't really do that. In fact, there's multiple teachings and false religions that came out of that time that taught that it was the disciples that stole Jesus' body out of the grave, and that he really wasn't alive. But if that was true, would you be willing to die for a fake? Because they said to the disciples, prove it. Prove that Jesus was alive. But in the scriptures, we see Jesus who came alive, and some didn't even believe him, and he proved it. I am who that I say that I am. So as Jesus comes out of the grave, and he's showing himself, he proved himself to be real, 
And then people said, you didn't really see Jesus. Prove it. He said, we saw him. And now the Gospels are written on men who saw Jesus alive. And then for the Gospels, we go beyond the Gospels, we see the writings of Paul. In the New Testament, Paul didn't see Jesus alive, but Jesus appeared to Paul, and now he goes on mission with these disciples. And Paul says, I've seen Jesus. I can prove it. But they still didn't believe him. How many times must God prove himself to you until you believe him? How many times was God provide for you when you need something till you believe him? How many times have you gone through something difficult, calamity, pain, struggle? You've been in a situation like, oh, I just don't like it. And you're like, God, you've left me. Where are you? And you're struggling and grinding. I don't really believe you're going to help me, even though he has proven himself to you 35,000 times before. So I don't look at these men and say, what knuckleheads. I look at them and say, that's me. I'm always pointing to Jesus and saying, prove it. I'm the one even though God has come through for us over and over and over and over again, when a calamity comes or struggle comes, I crumble like a little baby. And I say, God, you've forgotten me. You heard we were sharing that as an uh, executive team, we sat down to talk about what do we do about our next hill to climb in the building. And I love this about our church family. You don't, some of you don't know this or maybe newer to the church family. Our church family is built on a group of people who started praying in a house of what it, what it looked like to start a church in Slinger, Hartford, Washington County. And we started to dream of what that would look like to pour our lives into people. And as I, I remember the very first time that I said yes to this, fear isn't a strong enough word. <laughs> Absolute terror is a better word. I would say how I felt emotionally and mentally would like be sitting on top of a giant roller coaster with zero lap belt. (laughs) And my job was to hang on for dear life. And I looked at the hill coming and said, there's no way, God, that you are going to make this happen because I'm going to have to put my family on the line. My children, my wife, our home, everything goes on the line, God. Because at the same time of this story going on, multiple job offers came in for me to go take large established churches and go do that. And so I sat there praying, and I'm like, okay, God, I just trust you. You've been with me before. You'll be with me again. And I sat there trembling as we started a church plant. And then COVID hit. And so then I sat in my house again, trembling. What do we do? And then I sat there again as we tried to figure out where do we go. And then I sat there again and said, God, what building do we get? And then I sat there again and said, God, how are you going to pay for this? And every single time I crumble like a little baby. How many times must God prove himself to your own pastor till I get on my knees and say, you don't have to prove anything to me. The sign of Jonah has been proven. The gospel reigns true over everything. We are saved because of your great works, 
You are going to do mighty and amazing things because you have done it in the past. You're going to do it again, and I know you're going to do it in the future. And guess what? This isn't about me, Jesus. This is about your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I will put myself at that place. I will put myself and my family and my friends, and we will go as your children and say, God, you are greater than all of us, and no matter what, we will follow you because you've proven yourself. You do not have to prove yourself to me anymore. You never should have had to. Sorry that I even asked you to. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You've proven yourself, Jesus. Why do I sit here and crumble like a baby? I'll tell you why, because I'm human. That's why we all do. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. Every single day, you're still forgiven. Every single day, he looks at you like a two-year-old and says, I know, son. I know, it's okay. I love you. I'm trying, as a two-year-old, I'm thinking, okay, I'm a two-year-old. I now have to figure out how to put people on Mars. That's not my job. My job is to eat, sleep, and poop. Like, that's my job as a two-year-old. Be loved by my family. I'm a two-year-old. And with that same way, if I could think of myself as the love of my father on me, lavishing on me, that is what the gospel is. He just loves us. And when I bring that fear and I bring all those things, I say, God, where are you once again? I don't want him to sigh deeply at me. I don't want him to sigh deeply at you. <sighs> okay. No, I don't need to show you another side. I've already done that, Jason. I've already done that. What I am going to do is remind you of what I have done. And that's exactly what he did there. He shadows forward into the fact of what Jesus was going to do. The sign that this generation is going to get is the gospel. The gospel is the only sign that we need. That Jesus himself died, rose again, is the King of kings, Lord of lords, and that he's coming back. His majesty, if you don't, you need to show some more, tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I love this because I'm a nature guy. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God has already proven himself through his creation. I've been blown away by Mars landing. Blown away as we see the pictures as they rotate around Mars. You haven't seen it. Take a look at it. Fascinating to look at this planet so far, yet it, you can, it feels like because of technology that we're standing on this planet. We hear sounds of what it sounds like on Mars, and we think we're the greatest thing ever created because we landed on Mars, and Jesus Christ is already there. He said, I created this a long time ago. This is old news for us, Jay. <laughs> I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. He's like, yeah, we've been here for a long time, man. <laughs> and then there were these beautiful shots that came up from the moons of Jupiter with all these colors, and then they took all these new glass, the gases on Jupiter, all new pictures with clarity that came back at the same time, showing us the expansiveness of the universe. Jesus says, I'm already there, Jason. You're afraid of what? I have been there, I am there, and I will be there. Jason, you were saved. 
Jason, you're still being saved, man. Jason, you're going to be saved from what you're about to do. That is our God. God has proven himself over and over and over and over again. But there's a struggle that comes. We start to put this thing on God that says, God, I'll believe in you. I'll trust you when you fill this fill-in-the-blank need. If you then, then I will believe. God, if you help me with this situation, I'll understand and believe. God, if you would save my family, I will believe. God, if you make me rich, I will believe. God, if you give me all of my heart's content, if you make me in a lap of luxury, God, if you give me a brand new F-150 and a brand new bass boat, I just threw it up there real quick. If that happens, <laughs> then I'll believe. Because here's the problem. God has given to you in ways you've seen and unseen, yet still doubt creeps into our mind. How many signs and how many things, and God knows the heart of man, which is deceitfully wicked. The heart of man is wicked. The heart of us, there's wickedness inside of us. So no matter what God does for you, you're still going to say, eh, I don't know. I don't really know if you really are real. I don't know if you really love me. I don't know. The heart of man's wicked. Jesus knows the heart of man. He knew the Pharisees. He knew the heart of the people asking that question. And that sigh of just, oh, God grieved at the fact that that question was asked because he has proven himself over and over again. Our faith, when it comes to a time, there comes a point, friends, in your spiritual journey and your walk with Jesus where you just have faith and believe. I've heard that word thrown around a lot of times. Just have faith. Just have faith. People use it as a punchline. You just have faith and believe. Faith is probably one of the scariest things in the world. Faith is sitting on top of the... Uh, Raging Bull, man. I love Raging Bull. Great America. One of my famous rides. Famous, I mean, but it feels like you invert when you go over the top of it. Have you ever seen it before? It feels like you go kind of like the wrong direction. Faith is sitting on the top of Raging Bull. If you've never been on this, it's got a lap bar only. So it doesn't have like the full like harness where I can like scream and like hide in there. It just holds your legs down. I'm like, I have... Faith is... I'm on top of this raging bull right now. And that 17-year-old who gets paid $8.22 has taken the time to make sure that my little lap bar does not open. And that when I go inverted, supposedly, on this thing, and I'm reaching miles per hour that no human's supposed to do, but it's super rad and fun, as I'm going down this thing, that this person cared so much about my well-being that this thing is not going to fly open. As we go around to this awesome, wah! And there goes Jason. That's too safe. Faith is sitting on top of Raging Bull with no lap bar and saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. You want to know what faith is like if you've never been in a situation where you had to be in that place of absolute trust and dependency on the Father God to provide? Let me just tell you what it's like. It feels like that. 
everything inside of my nature kind of grinds and says, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't make sense. This is not humanly possible, but neither is someone who's never walked before walking. Neither is a man walking on top of water. Neither is a man who was dead for three days to be risen again. With God, the impossible is possible. I am not telling you to go on Raging Bull and take off your lap bar. (laughs) What I am telling you is if your faith journey, when you say, I have faith and I trust, you will sit on top of these situations which seem impossible and you say, Master, you have proven yourself. If I die today, it's by your will. I trust you. If I live today, it's because you've provided and it's your will. If it's because of you, you are good and I am not. I trust and believe in you. That's faith. But our faith is inhibited by fear. Our fear gets dropped into this as our human starts adding into it and you start to think this isn't possible. And I'm the first to tell you I'm terrible. Fear is my faith killer. Fear of not knowing what's going to happen. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the what ifs. Fear if, well, wait a minute. What if, I, what, if, what if something bad happens? What if we have to go left? What if we have to go right? What if I don't like it? What if we go to a place I don't want to go? God, what if God, he moves us to someplace colder? My dream, <laughs> my dream was to be a pastor in San Diego. And I have prayed that prayer. For years, I've prayed that prayer. I've looked at jobs in San Diego. I'm like, well, I think God's calling me to San Diego. And then we planted a church right here back in Wisconsin. In February, I really start to say, did I miss you wrong? Did we cross wires, right? Like, like in my dream and my thoughts, I wanted, but God, I say, you're smarter than I am. You're better than I am. I trust you. My fear starts to creep into my faith journey, and that's when I lose my faith. Fear and faith cannot exist in the same world because fear will put you back into gripping onto something with white knuckling and saying, God, even though you've proven yourself, I don't believe you. Faith is saying, I'm scared, but I trust you. And you call out, I'm afraid. That's the thing about faith. You don't have to not tell him that because he already knows, God, I'm so afraid. God, I'm worried. God, I bring this all before you because if you read the Psalms, that's how David talked. We hear him say, I don't like this. My enemies are after me. I have my friends are trying to kill me. His own kids were trying to kill David. He was writing Psalms. My own kids are trying to kill me. What's going on here? But he always ends the Psalms. But you're God Almighty and I trust you. But you are a king. You are almighty. Those Psalms teach us faith. Faith grows by knowing and experiencing him. If you haven't, if you're not experiencing God, if you're not experiencing the ride, if you say like this is, Look, man, like my faith journey hasn't been anything like you're talking about. My faith journey has been kind of like walk into church and walk out. Uh, sometimes, you know, we take communion. Uh, sometimes we go at Christmas time. But it's just kind of this, I'm not living what you're saying. Let me share this with you. You're missing the beauty of the gospel. You're missing the beauty of what it means to be transformed, not only for eternity, but for here on earth. Imagine if your faith is so strong that anything that comes into your world never rocks you. Imagine a community of people who believe in the gospel so much and their faith is so strong. We'll use Washington County. Washington County, the entire county believes in so strong. 
What would neighborhoods look like? What would politics look like? What would tensions look like? What would social media look like? I'll give you the answer. The opposite of today. <laughs> Everything shifts. And it shifts in your life if you get to this point because faith grows by knowing and experiencing him. Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not taste and see that what's in your mind is the best option. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see what it's like to take rest and refuge in him. Like a two-year-old underneath the arms of your papa. Just huddled in, cuddling in because you need him. Think of what it looks like in Psalm 1830. Psalm 1830, as for God and his way, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. We experience his perfect way. His word that he gives us, teaches, instructs us, and molds us. Perhaps our faith is weak because we don't experience or know God. Or perhaps we experience and know God the way we want him to be. I want my Jesus the way I like my Jesus. I like my worship this style. I like my message this style. I like my church this style. And I like my life this style. And I want you, God, to now answer everything that I want to make my world what I want. There's a problem with that. You're not God. And your life, as it goes, is this crazy mix of how God intertwines with us as humans and intersects and blows my mind. But you're not the center of the universe. He is. Mars isn't the center of the universe. He is. Earth is not the center of the universe. He is. The solar system isn't the center of the universe, pun intended. He is. It's all about him and his glory and his kingdom. Think about what it would live like and be like for every single day to look at your Father in heaven and say, I trust you. I don't like this, but I trust you. So that brings us to today as we are in this Lenten series and we're going to look at these beautiful stories and the beautiful attributes and the beautiful miracles of Jesus. No miracle ever given is going to bring you to a place or anybody to say, okay, God, I believe you. <clears throat> you have to taste and see that he's good. You have to experience the gospel in a way that isn't a religion, but it infuses and becomes an obsession that the God of the universe, you're obsessed with the idea of that God loved us so much that he saved you, that you are here for his glory and his kingdom and for him, and that this short time on earth in which our days are numbered, and when you go before the king of kings and you see him, you're like, oh, now I get it, duh. We can know some of that now. You can know the kingdom of God now. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.